Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Gurus. For every Friday, we explore stories of international business and speak with industry leaders operating around the world. I'm your host, Philip Auerbach of Auerbach International. Thank you so much for joining us. As you know, we start each podcast with a running segment called Faux Pas Fridays, where we explore a funny blooper or mistranslation that does not quite convey the professional image that your organization wants to project. And since today's guest was educated in Russia, I will use a blooper from the magazine Soviet Weekly, which was published during communist times, and the blooper will demonstrate how one small word can dramatically change a meaning. So a sign in English in a Moscow hotel room said, if this is your first visit to the USSR, you are welcome to it. Today's guest is Adi Patil. Adi is a seasoned digital marketing and software development executive, a frequent keynote speaker, and a prominent figure in U.S. tech marketing ecosystems. He was schooled at the Anglo-American School of Moscow and has a company in India that provides web and mobile app development, as well as IT and IoT, Internet of Things services. He is CEO, co-CEO of Startup NYC in New York, obviously. Welcome, Adi. Delighted you can be with us. Thank you, Philip. Thank you for having me. So perhaps you could start by telling us a bit about your background and uh, how you grew up and your schooling and uh, then how you gained some of your global experience. Yeah, thanks, Philip. Oh, happy to share. Uh, so yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm one of those kids that moved around quite a bit. You know, I've been through, I think, what, five schooling systems right up until I finished high school five different boards of schooling, you know, so completely different curriculums. Um, I was born in Maryland, uh, right in Shady Grove on the red line, uh, close to DC. And, um, you know, a few years later, my dad moved back to India and started his own IT company, uh, that at the time, uh, built, uh, customized CD-ROMs, if you'll believe it, like this is in the 1980s. Uh, yeah. So, you know, after a while, uh, that didn't quite work out for him. And, you know, eventually uh, something surprising happened where, you know, in the ninth grade, I got a chance to move to Moscow in Russia and I never lived in, uh, you know, lived in or been to that part of the world at all. And um, people didn't really encourage it, but uh, I knew my experience would be different because I was about to go to this amazing school uh, called AAS, the Anglo-American School of Moscow. Uh, which was run by the British and, uh, you know, U.S. Embassy and had kids from 42 countries. So, you know, what good pre preparation for a future like this? You know, I got to grow up in this diverse background so early in life. And uh, right when I finished, uh, you know, schooling from there, uh, I was back in the U.S. and did my undergrad in Virginia from George Mason, master's in D.C. from Georgetown. And, uh, yeah, life just kept moving, you know, moved to New York after that, again, a very diverse place, a melting pot, uh, what better than, you know, New York to get to know all the people, uh, you know, from the world that come in together, live together, you know, cultures are mixing and I uh, worked with two big firms, of course, Verizon first and then Yelp, uh, and, you know, was done with the corporate life eventually and started my own company with uh, a buddy of mine, Nico, who was actually my roommate at the time. Uh, and we lived in this loft in Brooklyn and, you know, came up with this idea of starting a company that uh, does development and marketing for startups 
And uh, that's how Startup was born. And uh, it's been five years since then. And uh, yeah, we're still going. Very good. It's fascinating. And when you lived in Moscow, I assume your family was there as well? Yes. Yeah. Well, dad was working for uh, Coca-Cola, Eurasia, that mm. region, and was OVP of the department. My mom was with us as well. Uh, so yeah, it was like a family life after school and, uh, you know, experiencing Russia, not knowing the language at all. And, but at the same time, living in a bit of a bubble with, uh, all the kid, all the kids that are there from like other countries, you know, right. so going through the same thing. Yeah. That's a wonderful experience. Incredible. International experience. That way. Um, so you basically, you primarily have an IT company at this point, right? And your IT company, from what I understand, also has has, bran has branches in India or does some operations in India. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. We do the technical development in India. Like our team, our development team is in India. But uh, it's a mix of things. So we understand that, you know, design-wise, uh, the U.S. market and you know, the Western market is very different from what it is like here locally. So... Our UI, UX, and design teams are in the U.S. Our content teams are in the U.S. And then our development teams, only our tech teams are in India. So we somehow managed to get all these guys working together, you know, in harmony and, you know, producing for our clients. And your U.S. employees, are they primarily Indian or American or is it just mixed? Our U.S. employees, apart from myself, are, uh, I mean, I'm also American by, by citizenship, but I would say like, uh -huh. Other than that, they're all American. Uh, and then our in uh, employees in India are all Indian, of course. And what are the interactions like? Of course, the uh, you know Indians speak English, uh, sometimes with a heavy accent that the uh, Anglo-Americans don't really understand very well. Um, but what are, what are the, in the business interactions and communications like and the expectations? You know, Americans are very punctual and very you know, deadline oriented and India with its 5,000 plus year history is much more relaxed, shall we say, about a lot of that, except in the IT field, I imagine. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So the culture is totally different. Uh, and all the, t the team members have to work together, understanding that. And I think that's where people like me come in the picture because we kind of bridge the gap having the experience of having lived here, being exposed to this culture, and then being exposed to the other culture for like half of my life as well. Um, you know, we kind of have to continuously bridge the gap uh, because there's definitely misunderstandings uh, uh, in terms of deliverables. Uh, although uh, the team in India speaks English, uh, oftentimes uh, the language barrier does come in, like you pointed out, because of the accents or just uh, the lingo, you know, the lingo in America and in India is, is different. So usually when things are on paper, like any email communication or any of the task management systems that we use, any communication there, that's crystal clear, no problem. But if things are only discussed verbally and people are not taking notes, then sometimes uh, things are misunderstood and could cause problems. So yeah, you know, uh, they get used to working together. Usually when there's new members, then there's a learning curve. Uh, but yeah, culturally, uh, also the, in, in terms of the 
you know, work mode itself. Like, luckily, the development, uh, you know, field in India, the guys are really serious. Uh, but their style of working can be really casual because they're constantly exploring and they might do more than what they're briefed to do because they're trying to do better. But, uh, you know, sometimes you have to pull them back and be like, you know, we've got to look at the hours. We've got to look at the timelines. You can't just make the decisions yourself. It kind of depends on the client, you know, if something needs to be better or not. So, yeah, there's a different difference in style. And, you know, we're constantly uh, accounting for that and, and making up for that. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, a great exchange. And uh, I would say uh, you, you, both cultures, you know, get to learn a lot from each other. They respect respect each other's holidays. They respect each other's religions. That comes in too, right? Because India is a place with a lot of religions, a lot of uh, culture, a lot of holidays that need to be respected. You know, the teams and other things. And and uh, similarly in the U.S., you know, uh, but more so in India, I would say like it's a little laid back, like you pointed out sometimes. Uh, so that needs to be understood. At the same time, India works six days a week at, at the very minimum. Sometimes even seven, <laughs> and uh, then the guys in the U.S. usually, you know, on a Friday afternoon, they're like, okay, we're getting done for the weekend. You know, we'll circle back Monday. So, <laughs> so there, there's pros and cons. Right. Yeah. Um, give me some examples of this sort of casual work environment. You were saying like the India, India staff may, I'll use the word, go off on tangents perhaps. Um, and can you describe, you know, examples of what, what they've done? In that way? Yeah, definitely. So sometimes there's projects where the timelines are stretched, right? So one of the projects I was recently working on, uh, one week went by, two, three, five, six, or maybe eight weeks went by. And there's not a single doubt. Like I'm here and like every week talking to my teams to like clear any doubts that they may have regarding the project in the development phase. And I, I go by like two months, this team has no doubts and everything according to them is going smoothly. So you know, when it comes time for like me testing any application or process before uh, delivering it to the client, I suddenly find things that are not, you know, precisely done. So I start asking questions and, you know, I have to kind of ask questions for them. And the reason is this, the reason is they kind of make assumptions. Once they get a brief of something, instead of, they're so hesitant to ask their senior a doubt because they almost sometimes see it as, you know, uh, they don't want to look stupid or, you know, they don't want to look like, you know, they don't know. They don't want to show me that they don't know something. Mm-hmm. So they'll just make assumptions that, you know, a brief means something and and take care of that task. So that's something I've not seen in, in the U.S. In the U.S., my team's always asking questions, maybe even more questions than needed, but they're making sure that the communication line is clear. Mm-hmm. Whereas the teams in India generally hesitate a bit and, you know, don't want to ask you too many doubts until much later in the project. So you have to like be behind them and find the doubts for them or like ask tricky questions. So the doubts come out. <laughs> so bring it out of the team, you know? So that's a cultural difference there. Like in the, in the U.S., uh, people are not really shy of communicating with their boss and, you know, letting them know that, you know, I, I have these issues. Whereas in India, they, they're a little shy of communicating with their boss. Uh, that's what I've noticed. And that, that causes... That has caused problems in the past. And you know, I've been very clear with the team that, you know, the communication line is open every single day, 24 hours, and you need to just tell me. It's not like I'm going to get mad at you if you don't know something. <laughs> you know? 
Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, in India, there's a very strong sense of hierarchy, uh, both, you know, the class system and caste system and within a company. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example that I experienced, which I thought was fascinating. Um, you know, I have a language translation agency and years ago we had, um, we used a company in India to provide our translations. We don't do that anymore. Um, and the, the woman who ran the agency invited me to her daughter's wedding, me and my family to her daughter's wedding, which was extraordinary. And I casually asked, you know, are you, are you inviting other employees of your company? Like people that I was communicating with, you know, her secretary and other managers. And she reacted, you know, very strangely, like, you know, basically, of course not. You know, why would I even think of that? Whereas an American, you know, if you very often, if you have weddings or family events like that, christenings, whatever, you would often invite your coworkers because those are the people you associate with each day. Um, so do those kinds of issues arise in terms of hierarchy and what people will or may not will or will not say or do or, you know, look at you as the big bad boss or something, or even though you, you try to break down the barriers, do they still perceive the barriers? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure they do. Uh, I think, you know, they're easy with me now with time, the ones that have been with me for a while. Uh, but at the same time, I know they share things with each other that they don't with me, um, you know, as well. <laughs> you know, although for, from my point of view, I'm not like, it's, I'm not very typical in that sense because I've had a lot of international exposure. So my, my process, thought process is really different. I don't see any uh, inequality between my team and myself. We're just two different professionals and right. that's about it. But yeah, you know, they, they do uh, think of me as a boss and, you know, someone senior and, you know, they don't want to, they want to keep that, you know, you know, uh, difference as well to a certain extent. They're not very comfortable. Uh, sometimes I'm like asking my team as well, other things like, you know, how was your weekend? What do you do? Did you like go out? And I can also sense that they're not even comfortable sharing Huh. too much regarding that, you know, because they don't want to be judged by me. Um, although I'm not here to judge them at all. No, right. Exactly. That's fascinating too. Um, you mentioned about meetings that you have, you know, when you put something in an email, then it's clear, but when you have internal meetings with your American and India teams together, do, does someone write a summary of the, of the, the meeting of, you know, who, who agreed to do what and, so forth, so it's then clear what each person's supposed to do. Yeah, so so we use uh, a couple of task management systems, and one of them is Asana. Mm -hmm. So we have somebody that actually, once we decide on any tasks that are divided in the meeting, they immediately put the task on Asana, right, with the description, and assign it to that person. And then uh, I usually go in, or my business partner goes in and verifies that information and uh, so on and so forth to just keep things really clear. Right. And what we've done now, like after realizing a lot of things is that we kind of try to keep the communication lines on the regular open through us, mm -hmm. not directly. Because if they directly talk without me being involved, then there still could be miscommunication, you know, verbally, if they just mm -hmm. have like a casual meeting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. So yeah, between the design teams and the tech teams, it's just usually us that, that you know, I, I or my business partner, we, we convey the, the messages and the tasks and the issues and all of that. 
So, and in, in India, I, I speak in the local language as well. If oh. I feel like some of the devs are, you know, not comprehending things in English, uh, then I you know, have a word with them in, in, in Hindi. In Hindi. So does everyone speak Hindi or do people come from other states or, you know, there are other uh, regional languages? Uh, yes. I mean, people come from other states, uh, but uh, Hindi is the national language, so it's right. most commonly used. So most people that have like studied and gotten educated have at least learned Hindi at some point. So, so yeah, I would say like 70 to 80% of the country would speak Hindi. Right. Yeah, definitely. Or at least understand it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned about India, Indian holidays. Um, the U.S. has six primary holidays, and then there are perhaps another four to six more secondary, what I call secondary holidays, such as Martin Luther King's Day and Veterans Day and President's Day and so forth. Um, uh, with, with India, do, just, does the office simply just close down on the holidays, or do or does the office stay open and each person might take off depending on what his religion or beliefs are. Yeah, so it's a little complicated. I mean, mo a lot of holidays, the entire office is closed. But apart from that, too, there are people who take off according to their religion. Because, you know, it's a place that we have uh, in, in India as Hinduism. And then within that, like a lot of castes, as you mentioned earlier, like there's the caste system. So different things they follow. And then we have Jainism. In India as well, we have Buddhism up in the north, right? right? And uh, and uh, we have uh, Muslims. We have uh, uh, so we have Christian population as well. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, so the Parsis uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there's holidays for all of that and all of the all of the you know religions festivities and uh, you know important dates and uh, independent takes off for all of it. So, so there's a lot of holidays. I mean, every month you, there will be like a couple of holidays, you know, upon the weekends. Wow. Yeah. So I guess that's why people work six days to help make up the holidays, make up for the holidays. Exactly. Really? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and is that typical throughout India that the work week is six days or is it just in, in your company? No, it's, it's pretty typical throughout India. Uh, some companies do alternate Saturdays and then alternate Saturdays are off. Mm. But yeah, you know, uh, mostly people work six days. Um, what about um, other differences such as marketing? Do you, do you have clients in India for whom you might de develop, you know, develop an app or something, but you would market it very differently in the United States or in the Western world? In India, simply because like the way our business model is structured, we w wouldn't make margins on it, on, on like whatever service we provide in India. But yeah, in terms of uh, marketing to address the earlier part of your question, it's very different um, marketing in the US and in India. And uh, reason being again, like uh, the consumer itself, uh, the consumers are different. Uh, the marketing lingo itself is different and what people respond to mm. is also different. So that's the reason we don't have a marketing team 
in India that works for U.S. clients at all because it's right. very difficult for them to understand and prepare content according to that market. Even if their English is amazing, even if they have like an honors in English, like that's language is not the issue. The issue is the American consumer, which which Americans understand best, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so yeah, we've kept that really separate. Uh, you know, all American content is developed in America in our company. So. In American marketing, the, the general appeal is to price, pri primarily price, but also, um, you know, efficiency and somewhat service and, and so forth. Um, and in other countries or other, um, other industries, price is less, prices more downplayed. For example, in Japan, prices downplayed what counts far more is quality and, um, yeah, the quality longevity, um, and the uh, reputation of the company and so forth. Uh, so in India, when you market, what are the primary uh, benefits that one would emphasize versus what would emphasize in the United States? Yeah, so honestly in India, the numbers are like really big, right? I mean, it's a big population. So generally products with a really low price even could make, make billions, if, if you will. I mean, because just because of the population. You know, uh, you know, something that's like worth five cents, it just has to reach like a very small percentage of the population to be right. like a billion dollar company, you know? Right. So there's that, uh, the difference in advertising and marketing is that the, the consumer here responds to a lot of emotions. So you'll see a lot of ad ads, whether someone's selling insurance, whether someone's selling a car or a chocolate, mm -hmm. uh, most ads are really emotional, you know, and she's like, you know, they're all like emo from an emotional standpoint, getting families together in the ad or like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of ads about like people falling in love or like whatever it may be like, it, it's, it's like that. Whereas I see American ads, like they very real, very to the point, you know, uh, and get the direct message across to the target audience exactly how they want to hear it. And, you know, it's to the point. That's how I see American advertising mm -hmm. and, um, uh, it, it can be fun. It can be humorous, you know, and all of that, but it's direct. Uh, and in India, it's really indirect, you know, they'll be selling chocolates, but they'll show you like a whole family that's like having fun together and all that stuff. So, you know, it's based on emotion, you know, and they'll, they'll word it as like, you know, sharing joy with your family, with this chocolate, you know, that's fascinating. Yeah, because you know American advertising also should pull at the at the heartstrings, pull at pull at emotions, um, excitement, joy, um, uh, love is is a good one as you mentioned. Um, you know, often fear. You know, for the, don't don't let this happen to you. Therefore, get our product, whatever. So American advertising is also emotional. But you talk, but what you're saying is that Indian ads are much more. Um, like family oriented and, um, you know, family and group oriented and much more indirect, I suppose, you know, as, as yeah, you gave that wonderful example, um, sharing the joy, sharing family joy, uh, together through, with chocolate or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very direct, I would say. Uh, and you're right. I agree with you. American ads are emotional as well. Like I've seen ads that you know, scare you or get you excited or whatever. So those emotions are there, but they're still like focused on the product. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, 
I, I know that there's a market in India for luxury goods because obviously people have massive luxury goods and there are millions, millions of people who are extremely wealthy. Um, so in terms of pricing, does one, do you, do you price based on perceived value in general? Or does it depend if you're trying to get a mass market through a very low price or um, to, to price based on capturing market share or again, perceived value of, of quality or excellence or something like that, the sort of boutique rarity of something, or does it, does it depend on the product, product and service? Yeah, it, it honestly purely depends on the product. And then the marketing strategy is kind of conducted accordingly. But, you know, in its core, in terms of luxury goods, you know, now there are brands that all of us know, right? And Indians will buy those brands because they're, you have to understand they're so family oriented and friend oriented and, you know, there's a culture of groupism, but that also brings competition, mm. which means like, if I buy a Mercedes, then my cousin wants to buy a Mercedes, you know, his cousin wants to buy a Mercedes. Like everyone wants to be at a certain level in society and they're even if they're friends and family, they're still competing, you know. So the brands that are big, you know, you see Indians here buy, even if they're double the price, like the, these cars are really expensive, more expensive in India, but you know, a certain class of people will buy multitudes of them, yeah. right? But if you're a new brand entering the luxury market, you have to establish yourself first, right? So it's kind of a reverse engineered process where like, what you want to do is first get in with the people that can afford you at the price that you want and, you know, get your target audience in. And then if the, if the product is good, you will make so much business just from word of mouth. Once you get in the right circles of society, huh? uh, it'll work out in the most organic way you can think of. Now, if you want to do something at scale, you know, then you have to look at competition, mm. uh, you know, price yourself accordingly and all of that. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not a luxury product, but if you're a luxury product, then you don't need like a lot of scale. You know, you can have a small volume of sales and make millions. Then you just have to get in the right circles and do marketing very organically. Um, and just, you know, make sure your product's good and people will do the sales for you. Yeah. People are looking for new stuff all the time. Uh, is this the, the poor people as well? Or you're talking about the middle class? I'm talking about the, I would say, higher middle class and up. Right. Okay. Um, and do they rely on social media as people do here? Or is it more word of mouth? And it's, uh, social media is a big one. Uh, but it's a lot of word of mouth because they will also be, so for example, like I see an ad about a product, right? I might like it and want to try it, but if a friend of mine shares that ad with me, or like, say I share that ad with you, mm. then my mind will go more towards like actually getting it, right? Know, like right away purchasing. So it's more, I would say in those classes of society, the richer classes of society, it's more word of mouth. Social media influences, but uh, the final decision of buying, people always take second opinion, you know, over here, because there's so many people, you know, and people are always messaging each other like, I saw the sad, should I buy it? They always need a second, you know, opinion. They won't make that decision themselves right away. Most of them. In India, you mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. In India. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
It's, you reminded me of the expression, keeping up with the Joneses. Do you know that? I don't know if you're too young. Yes. Yeah. No, I've heard that expression for sure, but I probably don't relate to it as much as you do, but I've heard it. <laughs> right. Well, I don't keep up with the Joneses. Personally, I don't care what the Joneses do, but it's the, um, uh, you know, it's what you were saying about keeping up with your neighbors and your cousin, your cousin has a Mercedes and therefore you have to get one. Um, your friends have it. So you all have to, you know, look, look at the same level, I guess. Um, you know, yeah. rise equally. It's fascinating. Um, in, in terms of, um, let me see. Again, sort of back to, to the hierarchy. Um, if, if a boss suggests something, are, are most people likely to do it? Or is, is there going to be a lot of pushback? In this country, there would be more pushback. In, well, it depends on the companies, of course, the company culture. Um, but if people don't agree with the situation, they would likely, you know, push back or they would, you know, give other alternatives or something like that. Um, is that more common and is that common in India as well? Or is it much more, the boss said something, we just do it. It's mostly the boss said something, we'll just do it. But there's some guys like, I mean, I have some people that work with me and they, they definitely like give me alternatives. If they think something's better, they'll share that. Mm. But at the same time, eventually they'll be like, but you know, hey, I'm happy to do it the way you, the way you want it. And there's pros and cons to that because sometimes the way you want it is the best way, but sometimes it's not. And then later on, you know, they don't have to take the responsibility if things go wrong, right? Because they're like, <laughs> you said this. So, you know, so it's a, it's a liability thing. Like people do want to take less liability for issues that come up. So if it's something complicated that they're not 100% sure of, then they'll let me do it my way. Because then all the liability of it not working is on me. <laughs> so, yeah. And the if, responsibility. If, yes. Exactly. Yeah. If the guy is 200% sure that, you know, his way is better, then he might, or he or she might you know, insist that we do it that way. But if they're, they also think it's complicated, they won't take it on them. They'll let me do it my way and, you know, mess up if, if I do and have me take the blame. Um, yes, I'm very familiar with that model. It's very common in other parts of the world as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you were exposed during your, your years at the Anglo-American school in Moscow, but did you observe, um, you know, Russian marketing or Russian behavior, not, not among your students because they were international, but you know, among the Russians themselves, because there again, it, they're they were then still emerging from this extremely top-down uh, communist society. Um, and there was a very a rigid, well, during Soviet times, of course, or communist times, there was very little taking personal responsibility because you could get shot or your family could get imprisoned or whatever. Um, but did you, uh, especially if something goes wrong, of course, uh, but did you, ex did you have any observation of, how people behaved in terms of, um, uh, again, hierarchy or marketing or what they responded to, what appealed to them? Uh, yeah, I mean, what, my, what I noticed was like two classes of uh, Russians, right? Mm -hmm. So I had some Russians attending my school, but they were 
uh, from a very rich class. Like they were politicians, kids. One of my friends was uh, the sports minister's daughter, you know, right. and you know, stuff like that. And, you know, the elites, the elites. Yeah. One guy's coming to school. We were like 15 years old. He's coming to school in a Hummer, a massive car and just parking it himself and getting into school. So I'm like, this is a different class. And then when I went to the malls or like I went out for dinner, you know, different streets, I would see the common public. And uh, I found them a little aloof at the time. Like they didn't interact much with me or, you know, if I had any questions at a mall and it, it was, or anywhere on the street, then uh, there was less people that were, that were like very receptive. Like they just didn't want to deal with me, to be honest. They were in their own world. And, and uh, so it was a contrast, you know, complete contrast of people that I saw. But the common public that I saw in the, four, in, in, in the years that I was there, I, I want to tell you that, you know, I found 90% of them like quite aloof to having conversations with people that are from the outside. Um, you know, they, they did not really want to interact much or you know, even if they knew a little bit of English, they didn't want to like make the effort, you know, to speak it or help. <laughs> yeah. Um, was it a language issue? I, did, I assume you didn't know much Russian. Was it a language issue or was it? Do you think a cultural issue? It was both. I don't, I don't want to like doubt that, you know, some of them genuinely had a language issue to interact with me. So, you know, and I, I made the effort to speak Russian on the streets, but I didn't get the accent right. And, you know, mm. difficult. It was difficult. Uh, but for definitely a lot of them, I would say it was a cultural issue and they just didn't want to bother interacting with someone that's not uh, from there and, and make the effort even, even if they understood a little bit of English, they didn't want to make the effort to have that conversation. They just wanted to go about their own business, you know. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, with your experience, what do you, what lessons do you think people need to have in order to thrive in international business? Yeah, so that's a good one. And, you know, I'm still learning my but uh, uh, definitely uh, be open to a lot of communication and there's a lot of bridging the gaps. Understanding the culture and respecting the culture is one. Uh, you know, uh, finding people that can mediate well within your team and giving them those roles. I think that's truly important because you, you need someone like me, for example, in mm -hmm. the middle. It just makes things easier. It makes things smoother and processes faster. Right. Uh, utilizing technology, definitely, uh, you know, all the task management systems that are there. Uh, any technology that can help your work part of the processes, like, be smooth. So you can connect the teams for more, like, fun activities, uh, you know, just talking and communicating and, you know, team building exercises. Mm. Uh, that's really important, uh, you know, because if you can just make the work process smooth using technology as well. And, uh, and, and, and all of that, then you don't have to worry about, you know, things going wrong and you can focus on the team actually bonding together. So that's really important. And, and I think travel too, hmm. at the end of the day, you have to go and see the people who are in, in their setting to understand them fully, no matter where you're from, if you like. So my business partner, actually Nico, he's a Swiss American guy. But he's come to India, he's gone to the North, he's done like, 
yoga camps and uh, you know vipassana which is like the silent camp uh, to, to, you don't you basically don't talk for like two weeks and you know, experience the culture and the people here so now going back now he's in hawaii right now and he, he's going to la next so he kind of travels around and uh so now dealing with uh you know the teams here it's really easy for him because he's done the all the local stuff here and lived like them you know he's taken like he didn't live, come here and live in luxury, took the local right. buses and all of that. So he's experienced life like them. So I think that's also something, if you have a long-term business that is international, you have clients in other places, teams in other places, uh, and I think you should invest in, you know, having those exchanges, cultural exchanges to understand them fully. And, you know, you probably be, have more long-term experiences with them and probably run a successful long-term international business. You know, oh, with all of that. You talked about team building, and earlier in the podcast, uh, you gave the example that if you asked your Indian employees, like, how was your weekend? What did you do? A lot of people, you would be very reluctant to answer because that's not something that one talks to the boss about necessarily. But if you were out of it, you know, if you had taken yourself out of the equation or out of the room, um, would do, would your India team talk about, you know, just daily life things with your American team? You know, I, I went to this cool restaurant. I, I had this great experience. I went on this trip over the weekend. Um, I did a hike, whatever the case may be. Would, would they talk like that in ways that would not involve you and they would talk differently in front of you? Yeah, 100%. Uh, there's still some of them that would talk freely in front of me, but, uh, uh, yeah, but there's, there's a lot that wouldn't, but then when they ex have the exchange with each other, they're always discussing things like the prices of goods here and there, they're comparing their rents and, you know, having those exchanges to understand, you know, what life is there and what life is here, like here, uh, even some personal stuff, you know, uh, so th they have those exchanges, uh, and I know about it because my U S team has open exchanges with me. So they sometimes tell me stuff about the team in India that I don't know, you know, <laughs> which is really funny yeah. uh, because I'm, I, I've been here, you know, for a while and, you know, I, I also travel back and forth, but I do spend a part of the year in India. So, right. yeah. So, so they have those exchanges because they feel like they're on the same plane and they can, right. you know, say those things. I assume they tell you, you know, who's, who's engaged, who's getting married, who's getting divorced, whatever. They may not, the, the India team may not share that with you so readily. Really. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Generally, if it's good news, they will. Like if they're getting married, that's pretty big news. They will. But not like the dating and dating life and those kind of things. But don't get into that much. But they would share that with each other. The dating, dating. They would share that with each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They would exchange those kind of things with each other, or even if that's someone they like or whatever, like those kind of personal things, they would share with each other for sure. And tips, <laughs> sure. It's fascinating. Um. What about your personal life? What gets you excited outside of work? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I, uh, I got married uh, in 2020, the pandemic, which was quite a feat, <laughs> uh, you know, and with, with, the, <laughs> with the restrictions and rules and regulations regarding the wedding itself, limited guests and all of that. And um, it's cool because uh, my wife, uh, she's an architect and, and she was working in Chicago at the time in this firm called SCB, uh, Solomon Cordwell Gwens. 
and um, mostly on like you know, skyscrapers, the Chicago airport and things like that. So she, she has good experiences well globally because she also has projects in India. She's doing houses in India. She's uh-huh. doing ma- big apartments in India with like bunch of pools in the balconies and stuff like that. So and she's also having fun with their field. So I think outside of work, it's mostly my wife and I, you know, traveling. We love traveling. So we're going now on the 10th of August to Paris. So we're going to work from there for a month and then we're going to Italy. And we both can work remotely having projects in the US and India both, but we have enough manpower to like make sure that can be taken care of and we can just leave them. So yeah, most of my time goes in, you know, spend time with my wife and traveling and, um, you know, that's, you know, getting to know the world even more than I, I do already. It's you know really important to me. And, uh, I've kind of set up my business according to that. You know, I don't want to be stuck in an office. So we, my business partner and I both have set up our business model so that we can get a lot of personal time in, you know, so uh, my entire focus is on my wife and I, and what we do in in the free time, how much we travel, how how many things we get to see together. That's, that's the prime focus apart from work at this point since the last two years. That's fantastic. Um, do you like sports or reading or hiking or you know other activities you live in new york right so you've got museums there concerts yeah so uh i i keep changing so right now it's been more like me working out but you know i had a phase with like playing doubles tennis with my business partner and a couple other guys and before that it was soccer every sunday and you know before that also it was like a little bit of uh, working out and like saunas and whatnot. So I get into different stuff, but I always have some activity going. I don't get much time for reading because I have to read a lot from work. Right. So, you know, my, I, I get kind of tired with that itself. So uh, I think an, a break on the weekends from any kind of reading, you know, uh, being in the content space and the development space together, it's a lot of reading. So either I'm reading code or I'm reading a lot of content. Right. Uh, and, you know, figuring out how to optimize it for search engines. So, so yeah, uh, but yeah, listening to music and you know, all the general things that people do and, uh, concerts ever, since COVID, you know, it's all, all that has reduced a little bit, concerts right. and things like that, but, but I love seeing live bands. I love seeing live jazz. Hmm. So whenever I get the time for those things, definitely you know, live jazz or comedy shows. Uh, I love going to comedy shows cause I can totally, uh, detach from everything and on what? I try to sit on the first, I try to sit on that first seat. So they pick on me, you know, that's <laughs> great and call you up to the stage. So, uh, Mark, yeah, here's an example. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, I love, I love the attention to be honest. I, I don't mind accepting that because I kept wondering why, like sometimes people sitting on that first seat get so you know, shy and offended because. I feel like, you know, when you're going to sit on the first seat on a comedy show, you almost know the comic's going to pick on you. So it has to be, <laughs> it, I, I think it has to be a willing decision, you know. That's wonderful. Um, before we close, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I think uh, this is just one thing, because most of my experience and work in the last few years has been around uh, working with startups and app development for startups. So just a couple of things for them in short, you know, I I would say that a lot of people come up with ideas and, you know, um, start executing them 
immediately in the startup space without any market research, mm-hmm. without seeing whether this is, because you can have a great idea, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a great business, you know, and people of young age that are getting in the startup scene, right. I just want to share that message that you need to understand that, you know, a great idea is not always a great business. Mm. And, um, 99% of your ideas have been executed somewhere in the world. So, so you have to really do your market research in terms of the marketing front and costs to see how you're going to acquire users or customers. And, mm-hmm. you know, if the math adds up a lot of time in a, for a great idea, the math might not add up. So it's, it's worthless executing. So yeah, you know, consulting people like me or, you know, I'm always available, not for any charge, like. The startup just wants to talk to me a couple of times and swing by an idea and, uh, you know, just get an opinion mm-hmm. from me or my business partner on whether we think it is formidable or, you know, what changes can be made or what, how, how best can be executed in, in the most cost effective way. We're happy to share our opinions because we've worked with so many startups. We, we're happy to share our opinion, like at no cost or anything like that. So, but apart from us too, it's important to like, uh, talk to, you know, people, uh, more and more before you start executing and spending your money on something, uh, even if it's yours or any family, because people do family investment rounds these days mm. and families kind of just blindly support you. They're like, okay, you have a great idea. Like we're happy to support you if they have the money. Right. So, you know, don't take such risks because we've seen clients come to us after spending a half a million dollars and no product or no sales. You know, no finished product, no sales. Yeah. So, you know, I could speak about a lot, but I think this is really important. And I think the young founders or even, you know, older founders that are thinking of new ideas need to know that don't just go on executing any idea with uh, finances being involved or taking loans. Uh, You know, there's a lot of private lenders just waiting for you to take loans. Don't do that. Do enough research. Talk to enough people make sure that there's a market gap for this idea that you're coming up with, you know? So yeah, that's the only message I'd like to give is it's yeah. in your parting ways. And well, it's extremely generous of you to offer your, you and your partners consult free consulting services to the young startups. Um, and your, your website is startitupnyc.com, correct? That is correct. Yep. So people can find you. Perfect. Well, thank you, Addis. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Uh, meeting with you and learning your wonderful insights and ideas. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Philip. Thank you for having me. Pleasure meeting you as well. And I hope to keep in touch. Thank you. So um, this has been Philip Auerbach. Please join us again next week for another edition of Global Gurus and their stories of international business. And you can find me at auerbach-intl.com, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H hyphen intl.com. Thank you. Hope to see you next week as well.